Hey, this is Phil Knizel, lead pastor at Hope City Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. My prayer is that this helps and encourages you, gives you some practical ways to live out your faith, and ultimately fills you with hope. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm going to have to ask the question because we are here. It's New Year's. Have you taken some time to think about what commitments you're making this year? What your resolutions are? Now, I get it. It's New Year's Eve, and of course, we'll be talking about it. But I don't know if you know this, but humans have been doing this for, I think it's close to 4,000 years. It started with the Babylonians. They were the first to kind of celebrate or commemorate the new year. And so for thousands of years, just like you and me, humans have been making resolutions and breaking them. So don't worry, you're not alone. And I love stats, and so what I want to do is I want to share some resolution stats with you this morning uh, to make you all feel a little worse about them. So of those who make a New Year's resolution, after one week, 75% are still successful in keeping it. But 25% of you are like, the only exercise I'm doing is exercise my right to eat a burger, right? Like, you know, some of you are like, ah, you know what, I am going to get the jet ski. Uh, After two weeks, the number drops to 71%. After one month, the number drops again to 64%. And after six months, 46% of people who make a resolution are still successful in keeping it. That's, I mean, that's pretty good. Interestingly enough, I know this sounds a little bit depressing, but interestingly enough, so people who have the same goals in mind but don't make it a resolution, after six months, only 4% of them are successful in keeping their goal. Making resolutions does make a big difference. And one of the reasons why I really like New Year's too is because it's the only time where there's a bit of like in the cultural conscience, this concept of grace. We are people of grace, people of new hope. We know that we can trust God with our past and he's going to do a new thing. And it's kind of like everyone in culture is feeling the same way. It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to let last year be last year and and I'm going to go into a new thing. Like God is always doing a new thing. In fact, it was God himself who says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I mean, when else is the whole world conscious about the idea of grace? And so what's the new thing? What's the new thing that you want God to do in your life or through your life? How do you want to experience God's active power in your life? What are you hoping God to do. This January, we want as a church to spend the first three weeks talking about the resolutions we think matter the most. These are resolutions that I think we need to make that can transform us. And not just for 2023, but I think for our entire life. And so next week, we're going to be talking about what we think about. In week three, what we prioritize. And this morning, we're going to talk about prioritizing scripture and prayer. But we also want to help you keep these resolutions. Because let me remind you, those people who have the same goals in mind, but don't resolve to do it in six months, only about 4% of them are successful. So let's resolve to some great things. It's why we actually call this series 2190. It's a bit of a strange title, but it's because research keeps telling us that it takes 21 days to build a new habit and 90 days for it to become a lifestyle. So what if we spent the first 21 days of 2023 on something that can uh, revitalize our spiritual life, that can lead to 90 days to be a revitalized lifestyle spiritually. What if we did that? And that's what we wanted to spend time as a church doing for the first three weeks of this year. But we understand, though, if you're like any one of us, that you, if you're going to spend your time, you're going to spend your energy 
on keeping resolutions and commitments, that you spend your time and energy on, on resolutions that I think would matter most, be most effective, and actually bring the most fulfillment. Funny enough, though, when they aggregate tons of data about what people tend to make resolutions about, what science and what scripture tells us that actually brings the most amount of fulfillment is usually at the bottom of the list or not even on the list of the top 10 things that we're resolved to do. I won't list all top 10 things, but here's a couple highlights. Number one always is more exercise and eating healthy. It's always number one. Number two is always saving money. Those tend to be the top two. Then you have number five is live life to the fullest. I have no idea what that means. Does that mean that like you always put your, you know, gas down all the time? Is it like, I, I don't know what life to the fullest means, but it's always on the list. Number seven is spend more time with family and friends. Done. And number seven, now number 10 is break smartphone addiction. That's made the list in the last few years. And you're like, amen. Uh, and so that is number 10. Now, some of these, like exercise, are super important. They're worthy. It leads to a better lifestyle. But research over and over again tells us that it's the quality of our personal relationships, not the size of our bank balance, that has the greatest, state, greatest effect on the state of our well-being. From the World Health Organization to other studies, the health of our social lives, meaning our relationship and the depths of them, consistently ranks highest on predictor of someone's well-being. A Harvard study almost, uh, almost 80 years old found this, that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a power inf powerful influence on our health. It goes on to say, close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study reveals. These ties protect people from life's disconnects, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. Now, as Christians, this should seem a little more obvious to us. Why? Because right in the beginning, in the creation story in Genesis 2, we read, God say this, it's not good for the man to be alone. And if I push it a little further, what we see in Scripture is that we were made first and designed for relationship. Genesis chapter 1, it says this, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We were created from this eternal relationship for a communion with God. In fact, later on in the Genesis story, we hear that God walks among his creation. And as Jesus, as he walked again as God on earth to reconnect humankind to himself, went ahead and said this in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like you and I can't flourish as humans without relationship with one another, you and I cannot expect any sort of spiritual vitality apart from an ongoing, active, dynamic, and intimate relationship with God, our very creator. And that's why we want to start this year by resolving together as a church to read in the Bible and prayer and make it part of our daily lives. And I know, I know, I, I can hear. It's like, well, you have to say that because this is a church and you're a pastor. And I would say, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's vitally important. I'd go as far to say this, is that the greatest accomplishment God secured for us on the cross through Christ was the ability to have an ongoing, dynamic, intimate relationship with God. 
And to not prioritize relationship with him is to stay at arm's length from our highest good. Sadly, though, resolutions that are relationship-based tend to be far down on the list. And for us this morning, resolutions that have to do with spiritual vitality don't really ever end up on any list. But we know from research and scripture that those are the things that actually bring most fulfillment that we were created for. So why is that? Well, for the last, so I've been in ministry for about 16 years. And for the vast majority of the years working with the next gen and a lot of 18 to 30 year olds and working at the project, you can imagine there was a lot of people that I married and officiated their, I didn't marry them, I officiated just (laughs) for clarity's sake. I've made that mistake before. And anyways, I have officiated many weddings. In fact, there was one wedding I did just a few years ago where all the music in the ceremony was spy-themed. And so the, the guys came down to Missions Impossible, Mission Impossible, and the bride came down to the James Bond theme song. Like this was, that was it. There's lots of them. Now, and I'm no marriage expert. I mean, Catherine will attest to that. Barrett, guarantee you though, that every couple I've met and, and, and just did light counseling with, never went into marriage planning on drifting from each other. None of them did. But the major point we spend a lot of time on is that good active communication with one another is the key to a flourishing marriage, to a flourishing relationship. And lack of communication is still, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but lack of communication is still the number one reason couples find themselves all of a sudden married to a stranger. And it happens all the time. How is that? How does that happen? Well, I think couples get used to each other. They stop being curious. They stop wondering about each other. They stop prioritizing one another. And they begin to just live as roommates. And what happens is intimacy begins to lag. And once intimacy begins to lag, well, everything kind of follows. And we know that it takes work. It takes intentionality to keep our marriages and any important relationship we have healthy. And communication, I I, I know, it seems so mundane. But we all know it's absolutely vital for our relationships and for fulfillment. Here's the thing, though. Spiritually, it's the same. No one makes a decision to follow Jesus, planning on drifting away from God. But it happens all the time. Why? A lot of similar reasons. We stop being curious about God. We tend to keep putting scripture and prayer, which is relation with God, kind of at another point when it's a lot more convenience. And as we change, we stop kind of relating to God. We drift in intimacy, we drift in connection, and it becomes a bit of a stranger to us. It takes work, it takes intentionality to keep our relationship with God healthy. And communication, prayer, and scripture may seem very mundane, but it is absolutely vital for our spiritual health and spiritual fulfillment. The temptation is to always let other priorities take over and we drift. But I have to remind myself often that to not prioritize relationship with him is to stay at arm's length, like I said, from our highest good. And for those of us who who don't commit to making any change, there's a 96% chance that in six months, in this area, nothing in your life will change either. So Let's commit. But here's the good news. This is actually great news. God never, ever drifts away from you. 
you may feel like a stranger to God. You may feel like it's been a long time, but God has never drifted from you. I love this. In Hebrews 13, it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In Romans 8, for I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, listen, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let's remember, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You may feel like you're far from God, but he has never drifted far from you. The greatest accomplishment God secured for you on the cross through Jesus is the ability for you to have intimate, dynamic, ongoing relationship with him. And to embrace that, to prioritize relationship with him, is to embrace our highest good. So let's commit to it. How, like I said, reading scripture and prayer. Why scripture? Because scripture tells us who God is. Scripture helps us define truth in an age where there's a lot of misinformation or disinformation, and it's God's chosen way to reveal himself. In 2 Timothy, we read, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why prayer? Well, because prayer is a way of talking, responding, and listening to God. In fact, for centuries, Christians didn't even have a physical Bible, and it was prayer that sustained the community together. We often read in Jesus' story that he withdrew and prayed. Colossians 4 says this, devote yourselves to prayer. And interestingly enough, during the last, I told you I like stats, but during the last past several decades, sorry, researchers have made uh, considerable headway in the study of prayer, and the data shows that stronger trust-based prayer beliefs are associated with a greater sense of life satisfaction over time. Another study found that when dating and married partners prayed for one another, they tended to be less aggressive and more inclined to forgive. Interesting. But why prayer and Bible reading together? Like, these are two big topics. Why are you asking us to do this together? Well, because when rightly understood, these two, these two go hand in hand. They're meant to go with each other. They complement each other. It's sort of a call and response. When we read scripture, I'd say without scripture, prayer is kind of like a bit of a shotgun effort. Well, who are you praying to? What are you praying for? How do you pray? Scripture helps inform our prayers, but prayer, I think what prayer does is that it takes scripture from being just blank ink on a page to being alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It makes it so that scripture penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Scripture informs our prayers and prayer brings the scriptures to life in us. And so to end our time this morning, I want to look at how Jesus actually teaches us to pray. It's found in two gospels, but we're going to read an account found in the gospel of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. It's found in chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, which is the first book of the New Testament. I got to tell you, to be honest, we could spend weeks in this passage alone. There's just so much in it. But one of my resolutions this year is to get you out on time, and I don't want to fail on my first day. So I'm going to encourage you to read it in your own time, but right now I'm just going to read just the prayer. So it's verses 9 to 13. It says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also, also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's three basic pieces to this prayer that I think can help structure our own prayers. Maybe you're going to start praying for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time or you just need, you know, a bit of a refresher. I break this prayer up into three ways. It's his name, his will, and his provision. And let me break that down for you. In the first verse, Jesus teaches us to know who we're praying to. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. So the passage in Luke that has this prayer actually uses one of the most intimate terms you could use, Abba. It's, it's, it's the most intimate term you can use for a father. Now, I'm not sure what your story is like when it comes to history with your father. Maybe the word father is a term of endearment for you. Maybe for some of you, uh, it's triggering in all the wrong ways. But Jesus uses this term very specifically for his audience. Why? Because the people listening at this point when Jesus was teaching, a lot of them would have only known gods that needed a lot of appeasement. Or they would have just known a god that they were just so far away from. So Jesus invites them to understand, no, 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 no. This is a good father. And this is how scripture helps heal brokenness, but also corrects our view of God. Because the term here that he's using means a father who is accessible, a father who is loving, caring, able, attentive, a father who is safe. But he adds to it. He says, he continues by telling us that we're praying to a father who is holy and who is in heaven. How does that help us? Well, because he tells us he is unlike our earthly father. How so? Well, he's not bound by sin. He's not restricted. He's holy, which means he's just and he's fair. So when we pray, we approach God as we would as a good father who's also the culmination of all that we need spiritually, all that we need personally and socially. Yes, he is holy and powerful enough to command the stars in the sky and command our obedience, but he's also personal enough to care intimately for you and wants you to see him as a good father, caring, attentive, accessible, safe, loving. So when you pray, he says, take a moment to acknowledge who you're praying to because it'll totally change your demeanor of your prayer and the imagination for what he can do. Then he moves on. In verse 10, he teaches us to seek his will before our own needs. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus actually alludes to this earlier in the prayer. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Prayer is primarily about being transformed by God's heart, by God's will, by God's desires. That's what it's about. I feel like this is the part of the prayer where God transforms us as we allow him to bring to light what needs to happen. This is about putting God's priorities above our own. It's approaching God with humility, knowing that ultimately God's ways are higher, and it's God who we need personally and who we need culturally and socially. So when you pray, acknowledge who it is you're praying to and ask him to transform your will, your heart, and your desires to his will, to his heart, his desires. And lastly, in verse 11 to 13, Jesus teaches us to ask for his provisions. He says, give us today our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Bread. The Lord's Prayer is one of the proofs that Jesus is not unconcerned about our very basic practical needs. It is very practical prayer itself. Bread costs money. Money requires work. Work requires good government, good business, and good labor. So when we pray for bread, we're praying at the same time for everything necessary for the preservation of our life. What do you need? Practically. Do you know why God asks us to pray this? It's because he actually wants to answer our prayers. So what are your practical needs? He invites us to pray those things, but then he also invites us to pray for our spiritual needs. In John 6, it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And the two examples that we're given here of spiritual needs are that for forgiveness and help against evil schemes. This is about acknowledging our spiritual need for God's grace and forgiveness. It's really about keeping short accounts with God. It's about acknowledging that we're all going to fall short at some point, and we all need just access to God's grace every day, to understand that we live in his mercy, and to just receive that grace. And it's just being honest with God. But it's also, secondly, being honest about our need for spiritual protection, because we know that the enemy is only here to steal, kill, and destroy. So this is an invitation to have that honest prayer. Father, who has the power of heaven in his hands, provides for me every day, who forgives sin, would you help me fight the good fight? Would you help me make the right choices? Jesus is telling us that, one, he expects that we won't be able to follow him perfectly. But like I said before, secondly, is that he wants us to expect that he's going to answer the prayer. That's why he's asking us and inviting us to pray this prayer. So when you pray, Acknowledge who it is that you're praying to. Father, loving, safe, secure, who provides, cares for you. Ask him to transform your will, your heart and desires to his will, his heart, his desires. Then take some time and pray that he'll provide for your practical needs as well as your spiritual needs. In your prayers, would you pray his name, would you pray his will, and pray for his provisions. It's simple. A conversation relationship with God is just that. It's reading scripture to understand who God is and to then pray. Why? Because not only does he listen, he's inviting you to expect him to answer as well. I don't know who, so I don't, I can't attribute this, but it's one of those things that I just, I love. And I'm going to just say it here, and, and again, it's not mine, but I love it. It says, you don't remember every meal you've had, but you're thankful you had them or else you wouldn't be here. This is why prayer in scripture is so key and why a daily diet of it leads to a slow, ongoing daily practice that leads to a sense of God's everyday faithfulness and to your personal transformation. So let's not drift this year in a relationship with God. Let's commit as a church to make a relationship with God top priority. Because Let me say it one more time. The greatest accomplishment God secured for you and me on the cross through Jesus Christ is the ability to have an ongoing dynamic and intimate relationship with him. And to prioritize relationship with him is to embrace our highest good. So let's commit to it. And so, like I said, we want to help you do it. So the first thing we did is we actually selected a one-year Bible reading plan that we really want to challenge you 
to get started with us, starting today. You can find it at hopecity.ca slash Bible plan, and it'll take you to an app or, or take you to a resource where you can find it. And we know this is asking a lot. It's not simple. I mean, the Bi- I don't know if you've seen the Bible, but it's big. There's a lot in it. But that's a challenge for you. Would you challenge yourself in the whole community with all of us to read the Bible in one year? There's going to be lots of people doing it with you. We're going to make reference to it throughout the year. So we want to challenge you to engage it. And like I said, you're not going to be doing it alone. There's a lot of us doing it. The second thing is this. We have a week of prayer that Pastor Ken already talked about coming up. And would you commit to pray with your church for your church? We have our first engage happening at the end of that week, but we've got Zoom prayer uh, during the week, and at the beginning, we're going to start it here together. But these are two great ways to just kickstart your group because it takes 21 days to build a habit. But what if you habit relationship with God? And then over the next 90 years, 90 years, not 90 days, 90 days, you begin to see a revitalized spiritual lifestyle for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As we close, I'm going to ask you to stand. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer over your life today before we're dismissed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but Lord, you deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Maybe some of you watching online or some of you here today, you've been thinking about Jesus, wondering what that looks like to start a relationship with him. I want to encourage you to go to hopecity.ca slash life, or there's a QR code in the back of your chair. You can see it pop up online for you. And it's a great way to get started walking with Jesus. It's just, we want to help you do that. You can connect with a pastor. Also, you can request a Bible. We want to help you get started in your walk with Jesus. But church, I'm so thankful you're here this morning. So thankful that on January 1st, you showed up. That's awesome. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.